service, Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me, and that's where we're going to be this morning for our time in the Word. Well, good morning. My name is Lowen. I'm the lead pastor here at Centerpoint. I'm glad you're here with us and looking forward to really a great morning. Thanks, Paul. You are a good friend, buddy. Thank you. Looking forward to a good morning together of worship and um, after the service today in the library, we're going to have a, uh, a congregational meeting and that's about looking back at what happened in 2018 and then also looking forward at, at what's coming in our future uh, in 2019. Lots of, lots of important information. I hope that you'll be part of that, that discussion. So let me get tidied up here so I don't drop more things. Um, but again, I want to welcome you. I trust that you read your worship notes and that you're checking out things that are happening around our church and so forth. Um, took a couple weeks off because uh, weather, not by our choice, but now we're two weeks in a row. So this is like a whole new record for us for this year. That's the most Sundays in a row we've met this year. So yeah, we'll press through that. We'll press through that. Well, today we're going to be reading or that is studying the passage that Amy just read to us about salt and light. Salt and light. And um, I, I really believe that this is a great message again um, for us to hear and for us to just to wrestle through what Jesus is calling us to. We're in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached. Not this one, but the one that Matthew wrote down. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I'm con- fully convinced that this was a, a you can think of it as a sermon. This was a long discourse that Jesus spoke through. He then repeated much of this teaching. And that's very common. If you follow me around to places that I speak at, you hear the same illustrations, you hear the same stories, and, and sometimes the same outlines. It's just the nature of how communication works. And so you'll see some of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 5 through 7, you will see that repeated in other gospel accounts. And that's just because this is just the nature of Jesus' communication. And he's telling us the truth that we need to hear. And the truths that we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, are, are, will, will echo forward through the remainder of our New Testament. But what we have here, specifically in 5 through 7, is, is Matthew's attempt to kind of introduce the teaching of Jesus. And here's his point. It's important for us to know the wider point of what what we're seeing here. And the point is that Jesus is establishing his kingdom on earth. He is placing in place his rule over all the earth. And that kingdom included a rule, a realm, and and a ruler. And Jesus is the ruler. His realm includes us. And one day... It will include a place when he will come from Jerusalem and reign over the earth. But today we're going to do what the song, we sang a song, the very first song we sang today, I wrote it down, about the Lord in the song, your grace is enough. You sang this to the Lord. You said, you wrestle with the sinner's heart. God wrestles with the sinner's heart. And that's what we want this morning. Are you familiar with the phrase, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men? You've heard that before? Have you lived it as much as I have? Okay. 
Now, you might wonder where that came from, and you probably weren't wondering that, but I'll tell you anyway. It comes from a poem written in 1786. John Steinbeck stole it and made it the title of a book he wrote, but it was written in 1786 by a, name, by a man named Robert Burns. And here's the context of his poem where he said, the best laid plans of mice and men. And it was this. He was describing a farmer who's out sort of tilling the, the field, preparing the field, He's, he's, he's working the ground. And along the way, I imagine him walking behind a plow, maybe a mule pulling it. He, he's, he's plowing through the earth and upturns a big mouse nest. Have you seen these things? Have you seen a big mouse? Every year when I clean out my shed, I find these big balls of leaves and my daughter's hair and all these other things that these mice find. Okay, They find all this stuff and they put it into this big glob in their nest. And the point of that poem, the point of the best laid plans of mice and men, is that we set this plan, we, we establish this, this idea of what we're going to do, and it all comes crumbling down. Like that mouse who worked so hard, gathering up those little hairs, gathering up the little pieces of paper, and building that nest, and then I come in the room and destroy it. I have this experience over and over and over, whether it's an auto repair that I step in, I'm going to change the battery, and before you know it, I destroy the motor or some construction project of the house. Or I remember this one time, one of my children had done this little thing where we had drywall in their bedroom, and there was a little piece, and they'd ripped off a little piece, and then ripped off a little piece of the paper on the drywall, okay? And it must have been a fun little task that they did for many, many hours over many, many weeks. And I came in one day and the whole wall, like a section this big, all the paper off of the drywall. And I thought, well, I got to fix this. But there's a little piece there, so I ripped it off. And I got to, oh, there's a little piece here. And so before you know it, what had I done? I had made, I had taken the, the, the area that she had destroyed this big and made it like this big. I set out with great intentions. I pressed into this, this project with great intentions and made a mess of it. The best laid plans of mice and men. Let's think of the biblical history. Let's think of the story of God and man. God creates everything that you see, the whole universe. He places in the middle of that garden a man and a woman. He says, be fruitful, multiply. And God is going to bless you. And he blessed them with this presence. And sure enough, they rebelled against him. And then sin came into this world. And God said, I have a plan. I have a plan. I will send a son of man. I will send one who will conquer sin. But then we trace through biblical history. God raises up Noah. The earth had gotten so wicked, so depraved, that God said, I'm going to wipe it out. Had Noah built the ark, remember, they go on, him and his family go into the ark. The whole world is covered with water and destroyed. And out they come. And sure enough, you read Genesis chapters 10 and 11, man does it again. Man again leaves God, leaves the, leaves the blessing of God's presence. The best laid plans of mice and men. We step in and we mess it up again. And so then, in Genesis chapter 12, why don't you put your finger here in Matthew chapter 5 and go back with me to Genesis chapter 12. What God does is, is in his plan, God selects a family. 
That's really who Abraham and his descendants are. A family line. And he says, I'm going to use you, Abraham, and your descendants. And I want you to see what it is that God promises he's going to do through this one named Abraham. Chapter 12 in Genesis, we see the story. We see the account here of the conversation from God to Abraham. But look at verse number 3. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Blessed. Now what does that mean? Last week we looked at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus offers to his followers. We said to be blessed of God is to know that God is with you. To know that God is for you. To know that God has forgiven you. This is the blessing that God is going to bring through Abraham to the world. This is not an offering, a blessing of some little trinkets that, that, that in just a short amount of time dissolve or, or rust or, or fade this is not the blessing of, of that kind of prosperity. I don't care what some false teacher says. The blessing that God is offering, the blessing that God brings to man is himself. It's himself. If you're in Christ today, you are blessed. Ephesians, says, Ephesians 1 says that you are so blessed that you're called rich. That's what you are. You are rich in the blessings of God. He's with you. God is for you. You are forgiven. And now what God says to Abraham is this. Now you take that message. You take the reality of what true blessing is. You take the truth of who God is and what he offers and you take it to the world, to all nations, to the whole planet, to, the, to, to every single nation on the earth. You take that blessing to them. Now, if you trace through your biblical history, flash forward 400 years Go with me now, turn a few more pages to Exodus chapter 19 and see this plan of God being unfolded. Exodus chapter 19, great passage of scripture. I'm, I'm reading through the Old Testament this year and I've landed in the book of Exodus and I, I encourage you to be reading your Bible on a regular basis. Matter of fact, I just wrapped it up. I'm starting Leviticus tomorrow, okay? And I'm looking forward to it. Exodus 19, you know, you know this probably from, from either reading it or watching the Ten Commandments, okay? And so what happens here is God, the, the, the children of Israel, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, came into slavery in Egypt, and God brought them out of that slavery. This is 400 years after the Abrahamic blessing. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse number 4. Look what God says to Moses about the descendants of Abraham. This is God speaking to Moses about the descendants of Abraham. You yourselves have seen, in verse number four, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See that? 
God is for you. God is with you. God has forgiven you. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is what this means. God is saying to these descendants of David, I'm sorry, Abraham. He's saying to the descendants of Abraham, you are my people. I've given you my presence. Now you go be my priests. And that doesn't mean they put on a black robe and carry a candle and wave the thing making smoke. That's not what that means. That's, that's, a, that's a wrong view of what this word means. It means that they are representing God to the world. God says to these descendants of Abraham, they're now called the Israelites, you go be my representatives to the world. You're blessed with my presence. Now you go me, go be me out there. Go be me out there. This is the plan of God. Now, if you know what happens, you can turn now to Matthew chapter 5. If you know what happens over the next, like, 1,000 pages of, of biblical history, the descendants of Abraham, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they dropped the ball. They dropped the ball. They lost touch with the plan of God. Their God became nothing but their own personal religion. It became their little hobby. It became their source of pride. It became the pat on their own back. And they were no longer taking that blessing to everybody else. As a matter of fact, Jesus said about their religious leaders, you travel miles to reach one, and you make him a son of hell. That's what Jesus said to them. A son of Satan, that's what you do to people. You don't bring them to me. You drive them away, is what he's saying. So now what happens? This is, this is the story. This is the account. This is the history of man. This is the plan of God. So now what God does is he sends his son. He sends his son. And the son comes and calls us to follow in this plan. And what it looks like in Matthew 5.13 is that we are to be salt and we are to be light. Our role, folks, our role as followers of Christ, our role is to expand the kingdom. To expand the kingdom. Like a pebble falling into a pond and the waters spread. Our role is to expand that kingdom. So follow along with me in your worship notes. I think I've got some slides for you that will help you fill in the blanks along the way so you don't get lost. But let's see what it is that Jesus is saying here as he calls us to expand his kingdom. 
First of all, he says in verse number 13, look at it with me, you are the salt of the earth. Now, he's already been establishing in verses 1 through 12 that these people are blessed. They are blessed of God. But now he says, you are the salt of the earth. And in just a minute, in verse number 14, he's going to say, you are the light of the world. So let's talk about what these two phrases mean. This salt of the earth and this light of the world. It's God's call in our lives, okay? Let's talk about salt, first of all. You're familiar with salt. You've got it at your house. Most every meal you make, you put it in there, all right? Raise your blood pressure all the time, okay? You've got a shaker there on your table, and you put that salt in. And salt for us is is nothing more than something I add to my eggs in the morning to make them taste a little better. But you need to know, when Jesus said that, That is not how salt was viewed. Salt is a very valuable substance. I came across this this week. I thought this was interesting. I didn't know this prior to to studying this week. Sometimes the Roman soldiers were paid with salt. (laughs) Can you imagine your boss coming to you and saying, well, you know, good job at work this week. Here's a pound of salt. Gee, thanks, boss, right? I don't want to convert my paycheck to salt. But that's... The point of that is, what I'm trying to show you is that how valuable it was. Listen to the kind of things that, that salt was used for. It was used for seasoning, of course. It was used in sacrifices. You see that in Leviticus chapter 2. It, there was a purifying element of salt. It was used medicinally, so it would be treat, you would use it to treat injuries and so forth. It was used to clean children, to clean babies, according to Ezekiel chapter 16. Rub some salt on them, right? I guess. Preserved meat, we all understand that. It was used to fertilize. It would create thirst. So again, another medicinal use. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And sometimes we wrestle with, like, what does this mean? What the, and you will find different Bible commentators who, who take a guess at what this means. Maybe it means that we're to preserve the earth. We're to be a righteous element in the earth and preserve. And I'm sure there's some truth to that. I've heard people say this little cliche, and it's, it's true, about sharing the gospel. I've heard people say, well, you, you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You've heard that, right? And I've heard people say when it comes to the gospel, but you can feed him salt, which make him want to drink. The whole idea is our, our lives draw people to Christ. People call that salt. Maybe, maybe we're here to just kind of season the earth and to make it you know, a, a better place. Listen, salt always impacts the world that it's in. Always. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. I think what Jesus is trying to say is this. You and I, the the use of salt is so great. It's so wide. It's so varied. That where you are, where we are as salt of the earth, we are to have a great impact on the world that we are in. You being at your workplace, you being in your community, you being in this church, a salty substance affects wherever it is. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, you are the salt of the earth. You are there to affect it all. That's your role, folks. That's our role. You could say, it is our identity 
our identity is to so reflect the character of God. Verses 2 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our identity We are the representatives of God. Christ is in you. You are called the temple of God. You are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we pick you up and we plop you down wherever you're at and you affect the world around you. It's what it means to be salt. It's what it means. You are salt of the earth, Jesus says. So what is that impact? What is that influence? I mean, just in in everyday church terms, what is that impact? What what effect are you to have on the world that you're in? Can I just walk through a couple things that occur to me? Okay? A lot of us think of, when, when, when we think of this salt, and when you hear the first sort of 10 minutes of this Bible message, you, you primarily think of evangelism, and certainly That is part of it. That is part of it. You are to be salt of the earth and affect the world that you're in by being a vocal vocal witness for Christ, certainly. But that's not the only way. The second way that I would challenge you is God has you where you're at because you are meant to disciple the people around you. That's why you're there. You don't work there to get paid. That's not why you're there. You're not here to gather up things and go to work for 40, 50 hours a week so that you can buy yourself nice things. No. You're salt of the earth. You're not of the earth. You're salt of the earth. And so you're called to, in your life, influence other people to follow Christ. We call that discipleship. Now, you might think of discipleship as me and you sitting down with a notebook. You know, what did you get for number six? It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like that. It can. It can. But it doesn't have to. You are to follow Jesus' command. Go into all the world and make disciples. Another thing. Your righteousness is to impact the world that you are in. When you see wrong, you are to speak up for what is Right? You're not to stand there silently like, I don't believe that, but I'm not going to say a word. No. No. Our, Our culture right now, right now we are seeing the results of believers who did that for years. And right now, what's being pushed in our media, because it is a stench, is how believers stood by when racism occurred all around them and nobody said a word. Nobody said a word. Well, you know, I don't want to preach. This isn't church. No. We are to be a source of righteousness where you are at. The Old Testament is filled with this. Micah 6.8. What does God call us to? That we be people of justice and mercy and humility. You live out verses 2 through 12, and you cannot keep your mouth shut. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember what that meant? 
That doesn't mean, that does not exclusively mean, I want to be righteous, I want to be righteous, I want to be righteous, I want to go to heaven. And it includes that, but it also means this, that you are driven, you are driven like a starving, thirsting to death man, you are driven for God's way to rule. So in the world that you live in, you bring that righteous element. What else? Love. Love. What else should salt do? It brings love. You love the one who's rejected. You love the one who's, who's not accepted. You love the one who's made fun of, the one who's ridiculed. You love them. It really might be simpler and more exegetically correct to say what does salt look like? It looks like verses 2 through 12. That's what it looks like. If you want to know what it means to be salt on the earth, you read verses 2 through 12. Remember I told you, this is a sermon that Jesus is preaching. This is not some random sort of samplings of, and I think I'll say this next, and I think I'll say this next. He's logically moving through, and he has said what the character of God is. I hope you listened last week. What the character of God is, what he's doing in people's lives is 2 through 12. And so now he says, now you go live this in the world that you're in, and you will be salt. You will have an effect on the world that you are in. Let me say this. Verse number 13. Um, It says here, but if if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? Now, I want to say a word about this because you could come to a wrong conclusion from this. It sounds as if Matthew is saying that it's like once you drop this ball, you can never pick it up again. Do you see how somebody could read that and think that? Once you lose your saltiness, how can its saltiness ever be restored? So you might be sitting here thinking, you know, Pastor Lowe, I've just, I've not stood for Christ. I have not been a righteous person at my work. I've not been a righteous person at my school. I've been a mess. And so all I can do is just stand there silently because saltiness can't be restored. Listen, folks, I don't mean to bring question into your Bible, but that's not what the text says. That phrase... How shall its saltiness be restored is not in the New Testament scriptures. It's not there. Let me tell you what it says in the Greek, okay? It says this. If salt has lost its taste, if salt has lost its taste, how can it be salt? That's what it says. If salt has lost its taste, how can it be salt? That's what Jesus is saying. Your identity is to be salt. When you live out the identity of God, you will be salt. This is not something you need to worry. Did I lose it? If you're in Jesus, you got it. All you got to do is let him live through you. Abide in him. He'll make you salty. He'll make you salty. Okay, let's keep going. He says here, no longer be good for anything. So, you know, once the saltiness is gone, it's, it's, it's worthless. But that's not you because you're in Christ. He's speaking about the Hebrew Jewish people who rejected the call in their life. It's not you. Go to verse number 14. Now we come to light. We come to light. He says, you are light of the world. Now, light is a little different than salt. 
Let's think about what salt does. But as we move into light, let's think about what salt does. Salt kind of acts like behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like you don't really see salt sort of doing its thing. You put it on your eggs and it tastes good. You're not like, whoa, flash, bang. Did you see that salt? That's not how it works, right? It's, it's kind of concealed. It's kind of covered. Salt, it kind of operates sort of under the radar, right? But what about light? Light doesn't operate under the radar. You want to see what I mean? Go in your kid's bedroom tomorrow morning at 4.30 in the morning, okay? Get a couple flashlights, all right? This is a fun activity, okay? And what you do is, you, all at once, you and your spouse, okay, you work together on this, all right? And, and you, you walk in the room, they're sound asleep, okay, knocked out cold, all right? And what you do is, you one, two, three, and on three, kick on all the lights and shine the flashlight right in their face and say, look out, it's a car! Now, don't really do that, okay? Because I have done that. I have done that to somebody, not my own children, somebody else's. That makes it a lot better, right? And it's a wicked thing to watch, okay? It's a horrible thing to watch. Don't do that. Guys, you don't do that to your dad, okay? He would not be happy. Light has a, light has an overwhelming effect. Salt is a little more covert. Where light is overt, Light is evident. Light is dynamic. Light is energizing. Light brings you alive. See what Jesus is saying here? Now, Jesus didn't just pick this out of thin air. When he said, you are the light of the world, I'm telling you, every single person who knows their Old Testament, so it should be us, are like, Oh, whoa, bing, 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 light. I know what he's talking about. Go with me, would you? Turn back in your Bible to Isaiah. Would you believe I don't have the reference here? I think it's Isaiah 42, okay? Let's go see. To Isaiah and see here what God called his people to. And this light that Jesus is speaking about is is essential for us to understand his call on our lives. Yes, Isaiah chapter 42, verse number 6. Go there with me, okay? So look what Jesus, what what the Lord says to the sons of Abraham. Do you see it? This is to the sons of Abraham. In verse number 6 of Isaiah 42, he says, I am the Lord. I've called you. In righteousness, he's called you. I would take you by the hand and I would keep you. Do you see the blessing? Here's the blessing. Blessing of God is not trinkets. Blessing of God is God is for you. God is with you. Wherever you go, he's there. He's forgiven you. I would give you as a covenant for the people. Well, that's interesting. So God is giving God is making a gift of his people, of his covenant people. He is making them a gift. He's wrapped them up with a bow. 
He put them in a box and wrapped it and said, here, here is a gift. Here is a gift. And what is that gift? A gift of the, is these people as a light for the nations. Oh. So now the nations open up the box. The light. Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let me just reference this. I, I need to go real quick here, but, but what's Jesus referring to? Listen, if you say city in Israel, you know it's Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. If you say city and you're standing in Israel, and I believe Jesus is in Galilee when he preached this message, but when he said a city on a hill cannot be hidden, they're thinking, what's he saying? Jerusalem. What's so important about Jerusalem? Why is Jerusalem such a big deal? Well, let me remind you, in Exodus, in Exodus, the Israelites they made a tent. Seems strange to us. You can read all about it in Exodus chapters 20, well, actually 13 through the end, where this tent is described. And when they got it finished, you know what God did? He came and lived in it. They knew it was there. You know how they knew? Because there was a light. And then, 400 years later, Solomon built a giant temple. And you can read about this in 2 Kings. When God comes and lives in that temple, when fire came down from heaven, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 1, and God moved into the temple. This is in Jerusalem. It's, it's, the, it's the epicenter of God's activity of bringing a light to the world. But a sad tale is told. And the rest of our Old Testament, when the book of Ezekiel chapter 10, because of their sin, because of their selfishness, because they had lost touch with their identity and their purpose, God left the temple. These are his people. They're his people. He had them build this temple, this place where he would live among men. And he leaves. He leaves. And for 500 years, this is about 500 years before Jesus came on the earth. For 500 years, God is not residing on the earth with men. But then he shows up in the flesh. And Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he uses a second illustration. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now what is this? This is not your lamp that you turn on in the morning. This is a clay pot, okay? You've seen pictures of these. Had a little spout that came out the end. They'd fill this with olive oil and take flax and roll it up and stick it down in that hole like a wick. And that's how they would light the room. That flax would burn as it sucked up the olive oil. It would burn and, and it would light the whole room. And they put it up on a stand, they built these wooden stands, and we've seen them. Archaeologists have found them, and they place them throughout a house. They're all over the place, and that's what lights the way. Pity the house. Pity the man who doesn't have a lampstand. 
pity the one who doesn't have a lamp. He stumbles around in his house in the dark. How sad that is. How brokenhearted we should be over one who stumbles in the dark. Who can't find his way. Oh, we think of him stubbing his toe and how difficult that is. And yeah, that's horrible. But imagine one who lives in dark forever. Who never sees the light. Who never finds the light. The light never finds him because the light has never been shown to him or her. And they die in darkness. This is what Jesus is driving at. You don't light a lamp and put it under a basket put on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, their Father that is, who is in heaven. Folks, our purpose is to point to Jesus Christ and his words. It's to be salt, to be the identity of God, to allow him to work in us, conforming us to his image and be that, that salt influence in the world and then to shine that light, to shine that light in the world around us. Now man tends to have, Christians tend to have one or two sort of directions that they go. And listen, there is to be a balance. He didn't say you are to be salt or light. Jesus didn't give you the option. He didn't say, okay, look at your personality, see what you're like. Are you quiet? Are you more reserved? Are you more of a thinker? Well, you be salt. Oh, you're a loud mouth? You're a person who really likes to talk? You're real demonstrative? You be light. That's not how it works. You're supposed to be salt and light. But Christianity, Christians tend to drift one way or the other. Some of us say, well, I'll just be salt. I'll be out in my world and I'll silently live for Jesus. Silent as a salt shaker. That's me, right? In your little mantra, you pull the mantra from St. Francis of Assisi, that famous Catholic from the 12th century in the Dark Ages. When else are you going to quote a Catholic from 1200 AD? Never, I hope. Here's what he said. Witness always. Use words when necessary. I say lie. That's not true. That's not true. Witness always, words always necessary. Nobody's getting saved because you're such a nice guy. Nobody's going to get saved because you are such strong salt. You just burn through the table. Not going to work. Some of us, that's where we go. I'm the purifying influence. Everybody else is going against God, but not me. And great. You'd fit right in with the Pharisees. That's, that was their call. That was who they were. They were salt. Jesus called a friend of sinners. He actually had the gall to talk and to eat with tax collectors, prostitutes, and wicked people even Pharisees. See, that's light. Light speaks up. But now listen. Be very, very careful. Don't watch me kick the salt shaker and think, yeah, get him low. Let's crush your light bulb, all right? So there's another version. There's another version where, where that is the social gospel, 
I'm going to be such a great, powerful influence. I'm going to affect the world. That's the social gospel. Over here, you got the decision gospel. Who are these people? They're out trying to drive everybody to go ahead and they got the arm twisted around their back. Say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer, get saved, say a prayer. And their life doesn't reflect. There's no love. There's no compassion. You might as well get a symbol, get a gong, and walk around and bang on it. Because that's what scripture says you are. If you don't have love, you're nothing but a clanging symbol. We gotta have both, folks. Jesus didn't give the option, He didn't say make your choice. He said, you are salt of the earth, and you are light of the world. Now, I want to say this. I got several plugs I want to make. First of all, in just a few weeks, Pastor Billy is going to work with us to help us know how to share the gospel. That's over here, okay? How to share the gospel with people in conversations. Now, I know that if we separated the room, and say, how many of you would rather be salt, or how many would rather be light, the room would tilt in this direction, because it's more comfortable for us. I get that. I get that. I understand that completely. But that's all the more reason for us to come beside somebody who does like to talk. That's Pastor Billy, okay? Who does, who does like to share Jesus, and say, hey, teach me how to talk. Teach me how to talk. I want to know how to have a conversation with somebody and tell them about Jesus, what he's really done. That's why we're doing that. Because this is our call. Because as shepherds, we know this reality. If we shrink back in our light or shrink back in our salt, we will not live a blessed life. You will not feel the presence of God. You will not experience his acceptance. You won't. His spirit won't let you. Because this is his call on our lives. Now, just briefly, I want to say something about verse number 16. Because what we have in verse number 16 is kind of the way it works. Okay? This is the way it works. So this is just real life. Like this, this, is, this is the way it operates in our lives, the real life process of our kingdom influence. First of all, you gotta be the light. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Now I want you to notice in verse number 16, the, the, really the passive feel of this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Do you see the passive nature of this? You don't have to go in and beat people over the head. You just let your identity come forth. You just let who you are and who you love come out. That's what this is. Bump into a newly engaged young man. I've done just loads of premarital counseling in my life. You know, when you bump into that guy, he's like, yeah, I got myself a girlfriend. He's all excited, right? He's got a fiance because he loves her and he's always talking about her. And you're like, dude, we know, okay? Let it go. When you love something or someone, you, you just let it come out. Let your light shine. Be the light And so that your good works, that they might see it before others, shine before others. 
See, we got salt and light, but you got to be with people. And you gotta, you got to be loving with people. You got to actually talk to people. You got to be friendly. You got to be the fruit of the Spirit. Loving and, and peace and, and joy, overflowing, overflowing as Christ works in you to people around you. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. People don't like salt sometimes, and they don't like light. And so there's going to be times in your life when you're going to live this, when you're going to walk out of here, you're all charged up and ready. I'm going to live for Christ. And you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. I can promise you that. On the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy. In fact, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I knew I was going to run out of time at this point. So last week, Pastor Billy and I recorded a podcast to talk about persecution. And what that looks like in your life and how that, how that functions and how to respond to that in a biblical manner. That's going to come in your email box tomorrow. I encourage you to listen to it and be encouraged. If you are out there and you have people who are resisting you, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged to find that. And lastly, just just see this, that God uses this. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what occurs. God is using, he uses us. To reach people. I'm telling you, I've experienced it firsthand. Where the persecutor becomes the believer. It does happen. I've seen it in my own life. I have been made fun of and picked on and laughed at because of Jesus. And I've seen that very person come and ask me, how can I be saved? It does happen. And it's not that unique. It truly isn't. Because it is, it is promised in God's words. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, Peter writes, oh, the ones who I love, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul identity. You be a God follower. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Folks, this is God's call for us. Be salt, be light. This is what it means to live the blessing of God in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clearness of it. It's just right here for us. God, encourage us today. I pray for anybody that's struggling over this. Lord, this is real, live things. We really walk this, Lord. I know people are, I feel this, Lord. We get fearful. We get nervous. We even get ashamed, Lord. We get ashamed of you. And what is that from? That is nothing but the enemy trying to silence our light. Father, I pray that we would be that city on a hill that all can see, that lamp that is not hidden, that salt that keeps its saltiness. 
Use our church, Lord. Use our body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.